We have been talking about encounters of Christ in the Bible, but I would like to give you my encounter with Christ. Welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss this radio program or any of them, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Sunday at 9 a.m., where these are uploaded. And you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, YouTube, and uh, Gab TV, other places like that. Um, and just type in God's Resistance. That's G O D S R E S I S. T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like us, follow us, turn on the notifications for helpful spiritual content. Um, and then uh, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Also, if you want to see us in person, we are in the public square in downtown Wilkesbury every Sunday, weather permitting, at 11 a.m. So I've met some of you out there, and I hope to meet more of you. Please come check us out. We don't have a church building at this moment, but we're bringing the church to the street. We're bringing the gospel, I should say, to the street. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. I would like to give you my encounter with Christ. Here we've talked about some that are in the scriptures, and no doubt we'll talk about some more afterwards, but just feel that the Lord would want me to share you, share with you my encounter with Jesus Christ. And there's many that have had encounters with him throughout generations before us. There's some present day that have had encounters with him, and Jesus has radically changed many people's lives. And I'm thankful for the day that he changed my life. Um, It has been amazing uh, to think uh, I could have been somewhere entirely different in life, and yet he allowed some things to happen in my life that brought me to himself. And so without uh, too much time passing by, I'd like to just get into that. Uh, I'd like to just start from my childhood. When I was a kid, um, I was quite tender of heart for the most part. I was a kid like anybody else. You know, I had, I have one sister and we kind of didn't always get along the best. Um, and, but nevertheless, it's all we had. So we spent a lot of time together. She's four years younger than I am. But, uh, I remember in my childhood, having a tremendous fear of death. Uh, I remember being fixated on it, really. I couldn't close my eyes at night comfortably. I remember thinking to myself, if I close my eyes, I may never open them again. And then I may end up being in some kind of floating black nothingness. There was no hope for me. There was no comfort at the thought of me dying. Even though people would try and tell me there's a heaven afterwards, and I thought, why don't I know about this heaven that you're telling me about? Why don't I know about it? I remember it was so bad. I would keep my parents up at night. They would be crying. I mean, they wouldn't be crying. They may have been in secret. I was mostly crying and saying I was afraid to go to bed. So I remember my mother would sleep out on the couch. Sometimes my dad would. Sometimes my father would put in a classical music on a 
stereo we had out in the living room and play it quite loud, thinking that it might soothe me, but nothing seemed to soothe me. And it would go on for long periods of time where I could hardly sleep. I'd sleep with the lights on because I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of what would happen hereafter. I grew up in a home that would have said by mouth that they believed in God. So I had a a fairly moral upbringing. My dad would tell me what was right and what was wrong. My dad would, you know, uh, chastise me as he saw fit. And I'm thankful for all of that. Uh, My dad was a good dad so far as a father could be, uh, not being saved and walking with Jesus at that time. But I had a paralyzing fear of death. And I remember at one point, my parents tried to help me. Uh, We were attending a church that, it was a nominal church, meaning it was Christian in name only, but they didn't tell you how to get saved. They didn't even tell you you needed to be saved. Um, But we were going to a church, at least somewhat regularly, and my parents talked with the pastor, and I caught wind across the way that, oh no, he's going to come and try and talk with me. So I ran out into the parking lot, and I went into the back of the car and laid down trying to hide uh, from this pastor who's going to come talk with me. And he came and found me, knocked on the window, opened the door, and said, I heard you're afraid of death. And he scooped me up from the parking lot, walked me across this little driveway into this little circle that was in the middle full of grass. He said, death is like what I've just done to you, picking you up like this and giving you a safe passage over here into this middle little circle, which was represented as heaven. He said, that's what death is. It's nothing to be afraid of. You're going to leave this life. God's going to pick you up and bring you right into heaven. And I'm sure he felt like he was doing some measure of good, but I had no comfort. I thought, man, you can tell me about heaven and all that, but I don't have that hope. I don't have that assurance. I'm terrified of death. I have no hope of what's going to happen thereafter. But I do remember that when my dad was very, you know, frustrated with me because of keeping him up every night, he did give me a Bible when I was younger. And he said, I really don't know how to help you, but here's a Bible. And if you look in the New Testament, you will find words that are in red. Whatever the words are that are in red, those are the words that Jesus himself spoke. So I naturally felt, well, I'm going to read the words in red. I remember a lot of times being afraid of, at times because I'd read about Jesus coming back and I thought, that sounds terrifying. I don't know who he is and I'm not even ready to have him come back. What's going to happen then? I remember thinking all this and man, I was probably like five five to 10 years old when all this was going on, at least very acutely. But nevertheless, I'd read those words in red. And I remember now that when I was reading those words in red, the presence of God would manifest in my room. I couldn't have told you that that's what was going on then, except that I knew that I was aware that something changed in that room. And I had comfort and peace that I didn't have before that. And I believe it was Jesus in mercy uh, on me as a young child trying to comfort me because I didn't really fully understand what was going on. Fast forward into my teenage years, uh, I was done with church uh, because I had seen inside of the church we were going to, people would, they'd go to church, but they'd live however they wanted to. So they would, we would go to these fellowship gatherings and I remember them, you know, drinking beers and, and, you know, being drunk at those gatherings. And I'm thinking to myself, they go to church and then they act like this outside of church. And I thought, I don't need the church. I'm out of here. And I wanted to be a rock star. Uh, I remember when some of that shifted 
I think I was in, oh man, I can't remember. I was in middle school, but I remember I listened to a band in, inside of headphones in the backseat of a car as we were traveling somewhere as a family. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds silly to say this now. You can think whatever you want to, but it was a band called Corn. And the song was All Day I Dream About Sex. That was the name of the song. I remember feeling the back seat of my car. Man, if my parents knew what I was listening to right now, this would not go over so well. Um, so I would try and hide that to him. But somehow in those moments, something gripped me where I wanted to be a rock star. So I pursued that. I was in hardcore bands um, and tried to, was hoping to get signed to a record deal so I could travel around and party. Uh, that's what I thought was the life. And I did party a lot. I, I lived for the party. I lived to drink. I lived to uh, smoke a lot of marijuana. Uh, I lived, you know, for that kind of thing, sex and lust, all of that. That was where my head and my heart was at. And I remember um, that I was in a lot of bad, uh, well, I say a lot of, I was in one particular long-term relationship that was bad. And uh, I remember breaking up uh, of that um, Mary or that, excuse me, that relationship and thinking to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. I thought to myself, I invested all this in this relationship. Now this girl is just gone out of this relationship. And I remember once again, turning back to the Bible and reading about having uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. And I was thinking to myself, I'm never going to do that again. I remember reading the verse about joining yourself to a harlot. And I thought that's what I've done. Now I'm one flesh with this girl who I'm probably never going to be with again the rest of my life. I've ruined things. That's what I thought. And emotionally, it was just hard for me to deal with. I was really young. I shouldn't have been in that situation. And anyways, at any rate, um, I didn't know what it, what it meant to be saved at that point, but I was terribly convicted. I remember also at that time, I was working at a gas station uh, off of a major interstate in Massachusetts. And these Jesuit priests had come in. They were dressed in robes. And I thought, whoa, who are these people? I asked them a bunch of questions, gave them free coffee and water or something and sent them on their way. It wasn't too long after that that I ended up going to see this band, this group that I liked in New York City. Um, and I stayed with some people uh, just down the road from Grand Central Station in a hotel room. I got up real tired from the nights. I probably didn't sleep much and I was probably partying. But I got up in the morning and I thought, man. I just need to go get some coffee or something. And so I got up, walked downstairs, went out the hotel room. I looked to my, well, I think it was to my left. I looked to my left and I saw those Jesuit priests. This may have been two weeks after that. And I thought, whoa. And I said, I just saw you in Western Massachusetts at this gas station I worked at. They said, oh yeah, I remember you. I said, what are you doing here? They said, well, we've been traveling spreading the gospel to people. I said, how? They said, on foot. Sometimes we may have gotten a ride here or there. We stayed with some friends at, at certain times. And I was like, you travel all the way here like that? Yes. And they handed me a pamphlet on premarital sex. Wow. I was convicted all over again. That bothered me. God had already been working on me in my life with all of what was going on. And there it was again. It bothered me. Did I do a whole lot about it? Not necessarily at that point, but God was laying groundwork of conviction of things that were in my life, and it was just stacking up one right after the other. I remember also at that time um, starting to make my way back toward God as much as I knew in this church that I was attending that didn't really tell you how to be saved. 
I thought, well, that's the only thing I know. So I'm going to go back there. And I ended up being part of some Good Friday ceremony where people picked different characters and Shakespeare and company had come to this place and they tried to teach you how to, you know, uh, I guess act out some of these things in, in reality or passion. And so I did. I ended up writing a song. I remember um, at that point, I was having a, a terrible struggle with pornography. Um, and I knew my conscience, it was, I shouldn't be doing that, but I, nevertheless, I was doing it anyways. And I remember during this Good Friday ceremony, which I was doing with many other people, I remember we had started in the sanctuary and people pushed the others out as if they were like the guards saying, get away from the, where Jesus was just hung on the cross. And we're out around these tables. Uh, and there were certain tables set up and different people would stand up and they were different characters that were in the New Testament account. And I remember looking backwards into the sanctuary and seeing this cross that it looked like somebody had cut out perhaps with a chainsaw. It was rugged, nasty looking. And it gripped me. And I thought if Jesus died on any cross, it would have been a cross like that. Nothing fancy and all shellac, but it looked like that beaten, nasty cross. And it broke me. I remember going up inside of the sanctuary and I, I didn't know anything, but I just fell down in front of that crying, thinking I somehow need help and I don't even know how to ask for it. And God was getting a hold of me again at those points. Well, I ended up being in another relationship after that. And it's, the, it's to the woman that I'm now married to, but at that point I wasn't married. Uh, I was with her for about four and a half years and it was pretty serious. We were engaged. We were going to get married. Um, my wife was in the uh, Air Force. ROTC. She got a medical discharge before she was commissioned out in Santa Barbara, California. That's where I thought I was going to go and make it big and be a rock star. And it didn't pan out. Well, uh, I ended up um, applying to go to school for recording engineer, uh, engineering at the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences out in um, Tempe and Gilbert, Arizona. There was two satellite or two buildings. You went half uh, one place, half the year, one place, half the year, another. And I went out there to do that. And uh, I was supposed to be, you know, finding a place for us to live that my wife could come out and stay there also, but I was just partying and going crazy. And she ended up um, being with some other guys here on the East Coast when I was out there closer to the West Coast. Um, and I remember it just kind of ruined my life. Things just kind of came crashing down. And I really didn't know what to do about the whole thing because I thought I was supposed to marry this, this girl. And now that's falling apart. What am I supposed to do about this? I remember it broke me. Amazingly, I still went through school, graduated with a 4.0 through the technical college through recording engineering. But I remember being in a music business court, uh, music business class, and my placement uh, advisor, uh, he had came in and he was speaking to the whole class. But he he spoke about um, this one guy who had graduated from the school, and he got a job uh, working at Snoop Dogg's studio. And I thought to myself. I'm just listening to this. And he said, the man uh, somewhere in there, he said, got saved or born again was his terminology. And he called him and he said, uh, hey, I can't work here at Snoop Dogg's uh, studio anymore. He's doing things that uh, I can't be around because I just became a Christian. And I remember my advisor speaking to the whole class and saying, don't any of you do that stupid thing because then you'll be out of a job. And I remember internally thinking that is going to happen to me. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. 
You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Well, after I left schooling out in Arizona for recording engineering, I I was talking with my placement advisor there from the school. Uh, I had already moved to New York City, was living with a friend from high school, sleeping on the floor of his apartment in Brooklyn. Excuse me. And then I was trying to get placed in a studio. That's what I really wanted to do. But my advisor said, hey, there's this place called Spotlight Live in Manhattan. It's closed now. A whole lot of terrible things happened in that place. At any rate, um, you should consider going there. I know you don't want to do live sound, but there's a lot of top name people that come in there. Um, so I went to go check it out. My, my boss, um, at least over that department of what was going on there, he toured with um, Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony doing sound. Um, there was a guy who was there from what I remember had something to do with producing in Led Zeppelin. Um, there was movie premieres that had taken place there. There was a Bruce Willis movie premiere. Ice-T was hanging out with me uh, near the soundboard at the back and was telling me, you're the guys that make stuff happen and all this. And he bought me a beer and I thought, man, this is awesome. I get to spend time with him and and some big movie stars. Kevin Smith um, was there and uh, Jason, I can't remember his name. He was in movies with Kevin Smith. Anyways, he was there. I did a Whoopi Goldberg radio show. Uh, and so I met Cindy Lauper and certain other um, musicians that would come and play live on the radio show there. And I'm talking with Whoopi Goldberg and she says, say hello to your parents and give this to them and autograph something for me. And I'm thinking, this is great. Um, I'll be able to get into something, you know, through this uh, because MTV would be there, ABC, NBC, all these big executives and things they would come in. Comedians would come in from Saturday Night Live, all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to make it. I'm going to I'm going to get somewhere now here. And so I thought being around all these famous people, I guess, was the road in to what I really wanted to do. But the problem was I was miserable all the time because there was this gnawing feeling that I was not doing what I should be doing. And I, I really didn't know much more than that. But it led me, all this stuff down there in the city led me to vanity, all vanity, but nothing about Christ. I remember at that point, too, I was kind of friends with this girl who... uh I kind of just felt sorry for her. Um, she kind of wanted, I guess, more of a relationship maybe, but I, I felt more sorry for her because I just felt like she was one of those people where people didn't really listen to her. So I kind of just became friends with her. Uh, long story short, um, my sister came to visit. We ended up um, you know, walking around uh, Southern Manhattan for a while. My sister wanted to go in Chinatown, all that kind of stuff. And I was going to meet up with this girl later because we were staying at her house. She had a place just at the bottom of Harlem on, uh, on top of um, Central Park, a really nice place actually. And so we were all staying there because I didn't want my sister to come stay with me in the, the small place I was in Brooklyn. So we were staying there. And I remember going back to pick up this girl with my sister and her friend. And uh, this girl had been slosh drunk. She worked at a bar as well as working at the Spotlight Live as a singer and dancer. And she also was an actress. Um, so all that stuff was taking place. I see her at this place and she's slosh dr drunk. And I said, man, this is insane. We've got to leave. Come on. I grabbed her. She could hardly even walk. She was falling the trash heaps out in the street. I waved a taxi and hailed a, hacks, a taxi down. 
all of us got into it. She fell and hit her forehead on a grate and then turned around and yelled at me and told me I punched her in the head. And I said, I didn't punch you in the head. You're drunk. You need to be quiet. We got to get you home. And she insisted that's what happened. I got out at, at, in, in Harlem um, where her house was or her apartment. She got out of the car. And then she kind of ran and hit one of those iron fences that has a, the spikes on the top of it and got this huge egg on top of her forehead. And then she started screaming that I punched her in the face. I thought, great. I'm going to get the cops called on me, and I'm probably going to get snot beaten out of me here in the street. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I said, I didn't hit you. Let's get in your apartment. I get her up into the apartment. Uh, she starts yelling at me, and I'm saying we, you know, to my sister, we got to leave. We'll just stay at my friend's place in Brooklyn, and then you guys can catch the train in the morning. Well, when that happened, this lady, this girl, she falls on the ground and looks up at me crying and says, please help me. And I said to her, I, I, before that, I prayed and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I, I didn't know anything, but I said, I can't help any situation. I don't know what's going on. And then she fell down and said, please help me. And I said, I can't help you. I don't even know how to help myself. And I left. And then I thought, I've got to get out of here. Well, I ended up leaving New York City. There's so much more that could go into this. But I ended up leaving New York City and ended up meeting up with a guy who I worked in a gas station with five, six years prior to that. And he said, I called myself a Christian, but I wasn't living the way that I should have been living. So I want to invite you to come to this church. Please forgive me for, you know, being a hypocrite. And I said, sure, because I was praying and saying, asking God that he would bring other people in my life because I'm going to go right back into the same old mess I was in before if something didn't change. Well, I ended up going to this church. I saw the pastor and I saw something in his eyes I'd never seen in anyone's eyes before. And that was that he knew who God was and I didn't. The burden of sin got so heavy. And I then said, well, what do I do now? And he said, you need to confess your sins and repent of those. So I ended up doing this on the kitchen floor of my, now my good friend. And I got saved um, at that point. And they were backslidden even when I got saved. They would tell you that now. And apparently they got convicted because I was under such conviction praying. And they realized we're not where we should be. And we really need um, to get saved ourselves. And their four-year-old daughter came down after midnight because she heard us crying. She puts her hands on my back and says, Lord Jesus, take the demons out of this man's life and set him free. And I thought, who are these people? I didn't know any of this stuff. What's going on here? But God saved me that night. And there was peace and joy in my heart. I stood straight up to my feet and I thought, wow. Uh, I, th I thought something's different right at the moment. But then I look down and I see my friends, they're down on the floor and they're still wailing and crying on the floor. And I thought, well, this is inappropriate. I better go down and start crying again. But I couldn't. Because the burden of sin was gone. God had saved me. And I didn't even know that that's what had happened at that point. I just knew something was so different. And um, then I remember the next day, my friend called me and said, what's going on? And I told him, and he said, you just got saved last night. God's changed you. And they had given me a sermon tape about making a prayer time daily, the most cherished and guarded time of your life. They gave me it the night I got saved. And as I was driving home, I listened to it. And that has really been what has established me throughout these years. I got saved in 2007. This has been what has established me through all these years was that particular tape. I'm so thankful they gave that to me on that night. Well, soon after I was saved and converted, um, my parents, they were not converted. My sister wasn't converted. I was, I was living at home with them at the time. And I remember being working for my dad. We did stonework landscaping. And my dad would frustrate me at times and I'd get angry at him. And I, I had a terrible anger problem. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I was so sick in my heart to think, I've been saved, and the witness I'm giving to my dad, to my parents, this isn't Christ. They're not going to want Christ. 
because I'm nasty and I get angry like this. This doesn't look like Christ at all. I'm not going to, I'm not going to show them the light of God the way that I'm acting right now. And so I remember going to my pastor and saying, I, I knew I love Jesus. I knew that I, I had been saved, but I said, what's wrong with me? And he told me, you need to be sanctified holy. You need to have God cleanse your heart from that carnal corruption, that inbred sin, the fountain from whence all of your sins came. Jesus wants to clean that out of your heart. And I said, well, how? How do I do that? He said, let God peel you apart like an onion. Let him show you what's between your heart and him and come out on the yes side of whatever things it is that he brings to your mind and to your heart. So I went to seeking and said, Lord, show me my heart. What's in the way? There was a lot of different things in the way. Pride, certain things like that were in the way. But one thing was my wife that I have now, at that point, she was not saved. And I wanted her to be saved so bad so that we could get married. And the Lord showed me, you want her to be saved just so that you can get married, but that'll never work. You need to let her go. And I remember seeking God and praying. And I got to the place where one night I remember praying and said, I don't care if I ever see her again. So long as she gets saved, and I realized that right then at that moment, I meant it with all of my heart, and I completely let go of her into the hands of Almighty God. And then that was when the Lord really started to help me, laying everything down as that living sacrifice on the altar, waiting for the fire of God to fall and clean my heart up from all this problem that I had inside of me, from this this anger, from this pride, from all these things. Other people, they didn't know about it, but it was in there, and I knew it. And I, I remember also trying to seek for a holy heart, reading what this person said, reading people's experiences and testimonies. And I got to one place, I remember a friend was saying to me, well, John Wesley said, and at that point I had enough. I said, I don't care what John Wesley said. I don't care what any of these men of God said of times past. I just want Jesus. And it was not too long after that, that I broke through and God sanctified me wholly and he filled me with his spirit. And he cleaned my heart out from that carnal corruption. So now I can honestly say from that point onto this, no more of those angry outbursts, no more of that pride swelling up inside of my heart. Are there temptations? Sure. But there's no pollution that's inside of my heart there anymore. There's nothing in my heart that wants any of that. And uh, I entered the rest of faith. I remember thinking, man, this was so easy. I was making it so hard. And I entered the rest of faith. God granted me the desires of my heart, so cleaned my heart out uh, of that inbred sin and made me a new person. It's made all the difference in my life. God eventually saved my, my wife. God eventually filled my wife with the Spirit of God and cleansed her heart from inbred sin. And if it hadn't been for God's work inside of our hearts, there is no way that with the unfaithfulness that my wife had towards me when we were, uh, we were dating, and really I was unfaithful to her, to her There is no way we could have made a marriage relationship work with all that baggage, except that each one of us put Jesus Christ first. And then when we did that, God could then lead us both because Jesus was more important to each one of us than one another was. We weren't looking for one another to fill the place that Jesus needed to fill in our lives. And we're so thankful that God gave us a restart and we were able to go through things God's way and get married and do things over again. So I'm, I'm very thankful, and maybe this is going to help you, uh, dear listener, uh, in your walk or in your journey of life. So I, I entered that rest of faith. God did that for me. But I do remember after I had a holy heart, having such an agony of prayer for my wife, unlike any I've ever prayed for in my entire life, 
such a union with Jesus Christ in the midst of all that. And he really prayed through me, I believe, for my wife, and my wife got saved. I remember times of uh, sickness that I've had, getting Lyme disease, where I believe that consecration where I gave everything over to God was tested through so many different things. But as far as I know my own heart, I have not taken anything off the altar. I've left my entire being on there for Jesus Christ, and he's made good on all of his promises, and he has kept me, kept by the power of God through faith. Dear listener, I just want to let you know that if you're not saved, you can be saved. Maybe Jesus has put things in your life trying to get your attention and and draw you to himself. Listen to him. Don't let it take so long that you have to go down in the gutter before you wake up, but listen to him now. And dear listener, if you are saved and you're struggling with those carnal corruptions inside of you that's so unlike Christ, you seek him. Seek a holy heart. Look up Samuel Logan Brangle books. They're free online. You can find them and read through them. Helps to Holiness is one. Seek God until he takes care of that so you can be all that he wants you to be. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself. Set up a time so that we can meet. I'd like to help you along in your journey. Like and follow us on our social media accounts, Facebook, Gab, YouTube. You'll you'll find more content on there. Tell your friends about that and tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.